Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you each week by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. There's no Leeds fan called Dave this week. He's taken the week off. I suspect he's probably on strike until Spurs stop winning because it's a bit boring for him and he enjoys trolling us. But whatever you're doing, Dave, we look forward to having you back. Instead, I have with me Socks and Elio to talk about a 1-0 victory at Kenworth Road over Luton Town, which leaves Spurs temporarily at least, top of the league into the international break. Happy days for Ange, happy days for Spurs. And we're going to talk all about that game and what the future might hold for Tottenham. So guys, welcome back for another week. We've got a couple of weeks until football, so let's make this one a good one. Elio, have you calmed down a little bit since last week? Because tensions were flying high. It was a very emotional episode last week. We were all a little bit concerned for you. Have your thoughts towards Mr. Klopp changed since our last recording? Since our last recording, I believe he said that he wanted the game replayed. So um... (laughs) I he did. No, yes. no, 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 no. I have not softened towards the pound shop Stephen Merchant that he is. <laughs> In, if anything, I find him even more ridiculous than ever. Shame. Great football manager, yeah. but absolute penis of a human being. <laughs> We've picked things up right where we left things off last week, haven't we? I did enjoy Ange's supposed retort. I don't know if anyone's heard this or if this was a made-up quote, but apparently someone asked him if he wants to give Klopp a replay, and he said, yeah, sure, mate, I'll give him a replay on FIFA, which is hilarious yeah, if he did say it. Did he actually say that? Oh, I don't think he did. No, not real. Not real, unfortunately. Oh, oh, shame. It says a lot about Ange that we believed it, though. I, I like the fact yeah. that we could see that as something he would say in a press conference. But anyway, more about Ange in a little bit. Socks, welcome back. I'm not going to ask you if we're going to win the league. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to ask you in the league. But what I am going to ask you is just generally, how has that result left you feeling? In light of, of course, the fact that Arsenal have just got a 1-0 win against Man City and that's left us on goal difference, top of the league heading into the international break. How are you feeling? Yeah, my immediate sort of the immediate aftermath of the result was just relief, and I was just too anxious to feel any joy mm. just because of you know it had all the makings of the sort of and I hate using the term but the Spursy sort of result where you yeah. should be three or four nil up inside the first five ten minutes you let them back into the game because you missed a bunch of guilt out chances one of your best players just dies like an absolute moron which I know will discuss yeah. to get himself sent off you then get pummeled like it had all the makings of. Yeah, we didn't lose to Liverpool, we didn't lose to Arsenal, we didn't lose to Man United, and it's going to be a way to Luton. And on another day, some of those Luton chances go in and maybe we do lose, but yesterday was not that day. So I guess my overriding emotion is I'm starting to trust this team and believe this team and believe in this manager. And it gives me a very similar vibe. The only time I've ever felt like this at Tottenham was when Pochettino's side started to peak and you could go 1-0 down or even 2-0 down, which rarely happened, and you just never lost faith in them. And that is what a result like yesterday, and I know it's only Luton, but the circumstances of that win, that's what it kind of gives me. That's the feeling it gives me more so than just the importance of the three points. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. It had all the hallmarks of a classic Spurs capitulation, didn't it? I mean, we said it before the game because we'd obviously got a couple of big results against big teams and we, we could see it coming and at least we thought we knew what the script might be. I just want to know how long it's going to take or if that ever leaves. You know, the Man City fans go into games after a run of wins thinking, oh, come on, it'll be classic if we lose this one. I mean, is, is this something that we are just doomed to repeat as Spurs fans for seasons upon seasons? If we win the league, will this finish? I just don't understand it. Elio, do you feel in games at the moment 
moment when the hallmarks start to show up and all the little signs start to reveal themselves. You know, a couple of decisions go against us. We miss a few chances. The tides turn. Suddenly, we're not in control of the game and there's a couple of breaks and you're thinking, oh, I've seen this before. Are you still at the point where you're like, oh God, I know what's going to happen. This is going to be one of those days. Or are you believing in the team now after the way we've handled ourselves in recent games? I think bit of column A, bit of column B, to tell you the truth. I think there's definitely PTSD that gets triggered every time we're in that situation yeah. of missing a bunch of chances while dominating, then the tide slightly turns and the goal doesn't come for a little longer than we're comfortable with. Uh, there, yeah, there's definitely some war scars there that are being picked at when that happens. But then on the other mm. hand, the club have shown in a short space of time that kind of, as, as Sox alluded to, that kind of Pochettine-esque togetherness and resilience that meant that they do keep going till the very end and find a way to do it. So I think it's kind of like, I don't know whether you'd call it cautious optimism as such, but cautious calmness, I'd say. Like, yeah. I'm feeling calm like about that. it, but I'm almost reluctantly feeling calm about it, if that makes sense, <laughs> because I'm worried that if I feel too yeah. calm about it, it's going to bite me in the ass, and my complacency might seep into the players and they'll become complacent. I mean, as you know, yeah. I'm not a superstitious man, unless it comes to Spurs, in which case I'm absolutely batch crazy. So, yeah. yeah. Bizarrely, Elio, that actually all makes perfect sense to me, and I'm slightly concerned for myself that I understood whatever language that was that you were speaking just now. But, but yeah, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. Like you, you, you kind of, you're telling yourself all the logic in you and all of the recent evidence is that there's no reason why we can't trust this to work. And something in your mind is just saying, no, don't allow yourself to think that. It's the same voice that says, don't even say we would be top of the league if this happens or whatever like that. So I, I totally understand. We certainly started well, though, didn't we? I think there was a point maybe five minutes in where if someone had said, would you take a 1-0? I'd have been like, no, don't be ridiculous. We're going to win this 8-0. I want to see a load of goals. First five minutes, we had 96 percent possession which is just ridiculous it obviously went a little bit the other way over time so what were you thinking sort of 10 minutes into half we had a few chances were you thinking surely this is gonna go our way or was this when the doubt started to creep in yeah i'd be surprised if there were spurs fans out there that weren't in the huge minority that were thinking oh god this is going to be one of those days i think all of us started to have that creep at the back of my like there's no doubt in my mind that everybody listening a good 85 percent of like here we go it's one of them but at the same time, similar to what Elio was saying about the sort of reluctancy, was that reluctant hope where I'm like, I kind of trust them, but I'm too scared to sort of say it. But it was like a head versus heart thing in my heart. I was like, I feel like we can still sort of go on and do this. And it was only really when the red card came that that started getting doubted even more. But yeah. you looked at it and you thought, okay, look, they're going to get back into the game because they've ridden out the early storm and they're going to have a psychological boost off of that. But we shouldn't be scared, with all due respect, of a Luton that's operating at 100%. Mm. Like any team could be any team in this league, but mm. it wasn't enough to maybe look at it and go, oh, well, there's no way we can beat them now because they're going to start playing. But at the same time, we weren't really able to kind of wrestle back too much control. And after that early flurry, I don't exactly remember us kind of peppering the goalkeeper. So... It's impossible to say kind of the reason why because we can't get into any of the players' heads. But sometimes I do think with this stuff, when you do have a fairly young team and you do have a fairly inexperienced team across effectively almost every position or the majority of them, which is what we've got, I think these are sometimes the sort of situations where a team like City, not just because of their quality, but because of the experience, make sure that game doesn't get away from them ever so slightly. And I think that's maybe the mistake that we made or a mistake that came from a lack of experience. So it's not so much mm. a critique of them because I can't have a go at Odogi for being 20 and not 25 or whatever. But 
I think when you've got those sorts of players sprinkled around the squad, stuff like this is bound to happen. If nothing else, it's almost like a glorified training session. I don't mean that disrespectfully to Luton because obviously they made it tough for us in the end. But that first 20 half an hour was a chance for us to just try over and over again different kinds of attacking drills and movements. And all that was missing was the finishing touch, I suppose. Slightly disappointed Richarlison. Probably could have had a couple of goals in that first half, I think. I think more than disappointed. I mean, after five minutes, his own personal XG was at least three and that's with two chances that's how good they were i mean the one from the kulisevsky cross a confident player not even a confident striker a confident player just guides that off his foot into the nets and doesn't Mm. do whatever it is he did and then the other one when he was put through so beautifully i mean he basically scuffed it into the one spot that would be easy for the goalkeeper i mean it it just thinks of someone who has no confidence and therefore no composure in that position at the moment and i think if brennan johnson's fits on the other side of the international break it will be the front three that started against arsenal in our next match because there's only so long you can persist with someone regardless of how good their attitude is and I do feel a bit sorry for him because I think he's the definition of doing everything right but score at the moment yeah. but goals are important and especially on the day when Son has an off day if we look at Kulusevsky as more of a creator than a goal for himself as well you need Richarlison yeah. to be the one coming up trumps if Son isn't and Son has six goals in eight games this season so you can't really criticise him Richarlison however it's beginning to become worrying I don't want to make this all about Richarlison, but can you afford one of those in your team? As long as it's only an exception and it's not half of your front line, if you have one of those players that does everything right except score, can you carry a player like that? I mean, you look at Arsenal, Gabriel Jesus is the obvious comparison there. You know, you look at that great Liverpool team, Firmino did a lot except score. No, you can't because the problem is we've already got every team needs that wants to challenge anyway, needs at least two goal scorers in there even if one of them's the primary goal yeah. scorer when we had Kane he had Son and before that it was Delhi and before that it was Ericsson who were all bagging 15 plus league goals themselves so even if we can rely on Son to get 20 plus we need the next guy up to at least be getting 13, 14, 15 doesn't look like there's any chance of Richarlison doing that and Madison Kulusevski are both primarily creators not goal scorers what we don't yeah. want to do is end up in the situation that we sometimes did with Kane which was stop Kane you stop Tottenham we don't want to end up in a situation where defences can just stop Son and therefore they'll stop us scoring so either Richarlison has to find his verve or someone else will need to be the one that brings the verve once again Brennan Johnson maybe even Brian Hill or someone like that obviously we've lost Perisic for the season and Solomon for a good while as well but yeah we can't have someone who's failing at both primary aspects of an attacker whether it's scoring goals or making goals and that is what Richarlison's doing right now he's failing at both those aspects regardless of what else he's doing for the team we're not early noughties Bolton with Kevin Davies playing 30 (laughs) games a season as sort of the guy taking the brunt of things but mainly being there just to act as a foil so that Kevin Nolan could score goals we're we're a team that is currently in first in the league and obviously we're doing something right and he's doing something right to be part of that as well but it's not sustainable and yeah that's the element where we have been a little bit lucky in that we haven't been punished for that level of profligacy yet and i I guess Mm. you talk about gabriel jesus yeah but arsenal can rely on getting a good amount of goals from saka and martinelli for instance you look at someone like firmino at liverpool 
it was fine because yeah. you were getting they a bunch two of goals. Goal exactly, scorers, they had yeah. Sadio Mane and yeah. they had Mohamed Salah. So we're not in a situation where Richarlison can stutter as a goal scorer. He was signed to score goals. His role in this team is score goals, as shown by the amount of chances he's actually getting. And he is getting chances. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. he should have six so far like Son, but you'd hope he'd have at least another couple of goals on top of what he's had. And if it was a case of we haven't been creating, then I'd be kinder to him here, but we have been creating. And whatever the reason is, it's not happening for him. And I don't think he currently deserves a spot in the team as a result. He may still have that spot in the team by default of all our injuries, but he doesn't deserve it at the moment, in my opinion. Fair enough. Well, we'll discuss what our team might look like in our next game because we do have, of course, a home game against Fulham in a couple of weeks now and we might have to make some changes, some enforced, some maybe advised and we're going to have a look at what the front three might look like in that game once we've finished talking about this one. But of course, one of those changes will have to be Ibisuma because he managed to get himself sent off in... uh, I don't think anyone can have too many arguments with this one. Just to clarify in terms of the actual mechanics of the suspension, I think I'm right, but guys, correct me if I'm wrong on this. It's a bit of a one because I think the red card has essentially superseded all the yellows to the point where he's now suspended for the next game but just for that one game off the basis of this red card when he returns for what will be the Crystal Palace game I imagine should he get a yellow in that he will then get another suspension starting with the Chelsea game so we are facing potentially a few of our next big games without Ibisuma. So obviously we'll get on to discuss how our team might shape up in his absence and how big a miss that might be. But before we do, let's talk about the incident. And I suspect, much like some of the big incidents last week, there's not a huge amount to say about it other than what a silly boy, right, Sock? Yeah, I mean, there's no kind of discussion. It was two really, really stupid yellow cards. The second was dumber than the first. He's rightly going to be suspended. Like you said, he may well get suspended again, which means after the Palace game, we might miss him for Chelsea, which would be incredibly annoying. I mean, look, I I love Basuma. He's been great for us, but I think Mm. this is clearly an area of improvement for him because to be eight games in the season and to have already accumulated four or five yellow cards is ridiculous. And off the top of my head, I can't even remember one of them being... Six yellow cards. He was on four before yesterday. He got two in the same game. He's actually got six. Yeah, Yeah, six yellows in eight games. I mean, and I can't even... I mean, I can't remember every instance he got booked, but I also don't remember there being one that was like an obvious tactical foul to stop a counter-attack. Like, those are the yellow cards where it's like, yeah, like, take the yellow, no problem. You know, you're almost applauding it. But yesterday, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to tumble into this guy who's not exactly bearing down on goal and I'm going to pull him behind completely needlessly. And then I'm going to dive five seconds before the stroke of half time when I'm four yards from goal so shocking dive why even do that I understand if we're 1-0 down and you're in the box and it's the 90th minute why do that there then with VAR I mean before we criticise VAR why would you ever dive in this day and age these days you can't get away with it you can get away with inviting the contact and going down these days or embellishing the way you go down you you can't get away with a pure dive anymore that's a thing of the past that's back in the past with Cristiano and in the Premier League I mean it's it's just and did you a drug but it's, it's not something that can happen now and and I well, actually disagree Van, slightly with checked it because it was a it was they wouldn't have even bothered checking because they don't do it on the yellows unless it was like in the box for a penalty yeah. or something so but, I mean was, what it was I'm just saying the is like, if you're diving like that you're going to get 
caught if the referee had given a free kick for that the VAR would have turned over the free kick and said he dived and then he'd have got the booking and sent off anyway that that's what I mean I mean it's just a stupid thing to do and I think the one thing I do disagree with you on Sox is that it was more stupid than the first because okay the fact that he was already on a booking definitely makes it more stupid but the first one why is he taking the guy out nowhere near goal at Mm. that angle with absolutely no threat and all our defenders back I mean I believe in taking the foul from time to time but that was mental yeah yeah really sort of immature play you have to say it it amazes me on that topic that players are so shameless in their diving in in general and they're rolling around and crying on the floor given how many cameras around the world are on them and how many people are going to watch the replays over and over again it just shows how removed they are from the real world doesn't it that someone can just do something like that so shamelessly knowing that they're going to be broadcast to the world but anyway i don't think i'll ever truly understand the mind of a footballer I did like how a manager handled it, though. I didn't see what he said about it. He basically said, same as someone last week, there's a human being who's made a mistake. No point in hammering him. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that he said that. Obviously, we're in a slightly different situation, so we can hammer him. (laughs) We can start talking about how stupid it was. But it's probably best that the manager doesn't do that. But yeah, as I say, that's obviously um, a big miss. And it forced us to change things up a little bit for the second half, because, of course, that happened right before halftime. So I think Hoiberg came on for Richardson, didn't he, if that's right? And we went to a slightly more defensive shape, of course. Um, How are you guys feeling at halftime heading to the second half? With that having just happened, were you confident we could still come through it with a win? Yes, to an extent, yeah. I mean, that was my initial reaction. And then we were getting carved open for the first five or ten minutes. And I thought, okay, well, we haven't actually gone to that much of a defensive shape because they are gaining behind again and again and again. And it was only really towards the yeah. end where we decided to sit back a little bit. And I suppose this is one of the consequences of Angeball this early into Angeball in the sense that, you know, we saw Liverpool play against us and Newcastle with 10 men and do a really, really good job. But that is a team that has been expertly coached over a period of five or six years under the same coach with incredible players pretty much everywhere. We're not at that level. So for us trying to do the same thing, even if it's against arguably the worst side in the league, with all due respect, we are kind of going to get carved open in a couple of touches and a couple of better players against the, if we were facing another team. And we go from being the team that should have been 4-0 up inside the first 10 minutes of the first half to the team that could have been 3 or 4-0 down inside the first yeah. 10 of the second half. And but they had their chances. 100%. There was a volley. Mm. There was, uh, I forget the forward's name. Is it Morris? So Adebayo, I think. Adebayo had an absolute sitter that was Adebayo, as bad yeah, as the yeah. Yeah. Kind of caught, yeah, the, slid into yeah, it. Thank God he's a glorified traffic cone. <laughs> yeah. So there were, there were plenty of instances. But again, it's one of those where like, because you come out at the other end and win, the generic cliche will be to say, well, we didn't play that well, or this is a sign of champions, like those sorts of things. I think the reality is, is yeah. that a better team puts us to the sword and kills us. And I think in the long run, that's something to kind of identify as a problem. I, I don't think just saying, oh, well, we managed to win anyway. It's like that for me was kind of a worrying pattern in the first five or 10. Obviously, we got away with it. Credit to us for then going off and still attacking and still scoring. But the first 10 minutes, I was like, okay, this is something that I don't particularly like. And to be fair, I can't remember who it was that made the comment. I think it was Gary Neville on Sky last week, Lee, and he, he was saying... It's not as if this first team would be coached to play against nine men. And in a weird way, we're not really coached to play as 10. Because if you think of the work that goes into somebody's first preseason, you're not going to be doing 11 versus 10 drills. You're not going to be doing 11 versus Mm. nine drills. So when you are put in these positions for the first time under this coach, I do expect there to be some level of instability. And that's effectively what there was. Yeah, I guess one of the things with the way Ange plays is we are kind of in that positional school of football in that everyone has their designated zones on the pitch. There's an illusion of fluidity and of flexibility because of the way that the players interchange with in those zones but I think if you take out one player from that system it probably impacts us more than it would impact other teams potentially as well and you definitely could notice that we definitely lost quite a lot of the grip on the game but to be fair to us we still ended up with 67% possession by the end of it which is not bad for a team that played half the game with 10 men (laughs) 
away from home. You can't really fault that too much. Although I think it was over 80% in the first half. I don't know if either of you got possession stats. What did you think of Hoiberg when he came on? Because he's had a few cameos off the bench, but they've been quite late. I think every time I've seen him come on, he's done a really solid job, but he had a lot more to do this time. What did you make of his appearance? Because we're probably going to have to see him again soon. I thought it was okay. I mean, the fact is that as a team, we didn't have control of the game against a poor side compared to the first half where we had complete control of the game up until mm. Basuma went off. Obviously, that's in part because we had one fewer player on the pitch. It's also in part because Hoybier can't do what Basuma does. And we yeah. just have to accept that. I, I don't think he did bad. He is used to playing play. in a two in midfield, though, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. He did get a silly booking himself, actually, I thought. Um, but he did, yeah. Listen, if we fall apart because Hoiberg plays in our next match, then we're not as good as we think we are because he's a good mm. player and he would start for at least half the sides in this league. I think we're always going to be worse with him in the side than with any of Basuma, Saar, Madison, obviously, or Benton Core, depending on what he looks like when he's back. But... I definitely don't think he did a bad job and I, I wouldn't expect him to do a bad job either. He's a good player. One thing that we haven't talked about yet, and I've got a developing theory that Dave might have a kiss of death on this podcast because a couple of weeks ago <laughs> he mentioned Ollie McBurney in a kind of passing quip about his mad flying elbows only for him to go and get sent off against us. Last week, of course, he told a lovely story about Tom Lockyer who uh, was the unfortunate man who managed to get a black eye in the process of scoring a disallowed goal. First of all, again, just like with Basuma, I think that's a pretty cut and dry decision. Did anyone have any worries that, that might be allowed at any point? Or was that a pretty obvious push on Romero? Once I saw the replay and saw the clothesline on Romero, it was no nerves at all. <laughs> Hold on, can, yeah. we, can we just rewind for a second? If we're saying that Dave has his own Aaron Ramsey curse, like why have we skipped yeah. over that? Think, think of the power we could put that to good use. We should well, be... When we've noticed that Dominic is not here, yeah, I think I think well, we need to. Joey Barton number one, Sean Long stuff number two. Like, forget the podcast. <laughs> we should be we should be writing down like a kill list. I feel like Elio has the reverse power, where if he starts slagging off a player, they'll suddenly come and score against us, or <laughs> suddenly become an unbelievable player. Him and Jack Grealish with his armor on comments. But anyway, we'll we'll start thinking about that for when Dave returns, shall we? But yeah, I think that was a pretty clear this loud goal. It was a bit of a ridiculous clown show of a goal, anyway. So it would have been particularly annoying if it was allowed to stand. But we got through that. Well, there were obviously a lot of good performances in it, and we'll talk about individuals, but I think if I had to pick a standout moment from that game, it's pretty easy for me. I think James Madison's work in the build-up to setting up Van der Ven's goal was beautiful stuff. Amazing balance, really good feet, and once again, just like with his assist for Son last week, looked up and found his man. The player I want you to watch a compilation of after is mm. obviously a very different player to Madison, a much bigger player, but equally same kind of cheek to just throw players off balance. Yeah. Watch a compilation afterwards of Chris Waddle. The way Madison <laughs> just uses his body to throw the player one way before turning the ball in the other direction and playing that pass between a couple of players closing in as well was absolutely majestic and I just mm. I can't believe I've had to go without a player like this since Ericsson was sold he's just <laughs> he's just magnificent to watch he's just wonderful um, it may not be an exaggeration to say he's already our best player <laughs> I was going to say I know we joke all the time about how little I know about Spurs but I can assure you I have heard of Chris Waddle the way you phrased that was like you're saying hey there's this player you should check out that we used to have he's quite good <laughs> 
have a look at his compilation. You might have heard of him. Anyway, no, you're absolutely right. That was it was beautiful stuff. And uh, once again, another another assist for James Madison. How happy are you for Mickey Van der Ven getting his first goal? I love the story. I don't know if you saw it in the interview. Apparently, Sonny came up to him on the coach on the way over and said, "You're going to score your first goal today." <laughs> so Sonny has similar powers to to Dave slash Elio. Clearly, but that's a nice moment. But also, more importantly, yet again, what an outstanding performance from the young man. Yeah, he's been pretty much flawless in the sort of first seven or eight games. Like you would not look at him and think this guy's basically had just like one season for a mid-table side in Germany. Like this was the player that everybody thought was the cheap option over Tapsoba, who we were linked to that was going to cost more money. And yeah. without knowing much about Tapsoba, I'm not sure too many people would be like, okay, let's swap them around. Like it does feel like we've got I don't know about the right one, but we've definitely landed on a really bloody good one. And the goal's the goal. Like that can happen. Like a goal from a set piece, I don't really care. Like that's not, you know, give him credit for it, obviously, but that's not what my center back is there to do. He might not score another goal in three right. years. So I'm not particularly fussed, but it's everything else. Like he looks so calm, so imperious. And I think the thing I like about it the most is that he and Romero complement each other so well. Like it, it's such an obvious comparison to make, even though the players are different. But when we had Vertonghen and Alderweireld, it wasn't the fact that they were two brilliant defenders. It was the fact that they had different skill sets and they were both so complementary. If you think of like a PK and Puyol and Vidic and Ferdinand and then Carvalho and Terry, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. always one that's like the stopper and one that's the this or whatever. It's the stopper and cover, isn't it? On football manager. E- effectively that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thought, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like yeah. Romero is your aggressive, even though he's curtailed that a little bit, he's going to go out and kind of meet it or whatever. Yeah. Van der Ven is the one that's sort of calmer on the ball cooler head even though he's younger has that pace to kind of stop anybody over a short distance as well by the way he's ridiculously quick over a short distance it's not just the sort of 50 60 meter sprint so he's been so so impressive and I was gutted to see him called up for the Netherlands international (laughs) squad because I'm like please selfishly I'm like please don't play like I think he was called up for the one a few weeks ago and never played and I selfishly I'm looking at it and going that is the one area of our team more than any other where the drop off from Van der Ven or Romero if either one of them get injured or suspended you're either playing Eric Dyer or a player so young but he's still wearing braces and I'm not entirely <laughs> sure which one is is yeah. worse than the other at the moment because I don't rate one and I haven't seen the other and I think that for me is the most fragile area of our squad so at the back of my mind there's that little voice that's just like all right if I had to pick a couple of players to stay fit all season it'd be them too and whilst we're on the center backs by the way I don't know if you would come to my thought Romero was absolutely outstanding yesterday yeah. I've never been as high on him as the rest of our fans just because I don't think he's put it together consistently and a large part of that is because he keeps picking up these small sort of niggling <laughs> injuries which mm. mostly happened for Argentina to be fair but He's had what feels like a very stop-start career in his first season. Last season was a shit show of epic proportions because of the manager. So I'm not really going to pick on him because everybody, bar basically Benton Core, was rubbish. I think you've seen now in these first seven or eight games, this is the player that I think our fans think that we had maybe a couple of seasons (laughs) ago. Like he's starting to show it. And the question now is like, okay, maintain this can you maintain your fitness can you do whatever and we spoke as well just to sort of finish up a few weeks ago about the kind of dishing out of the armbands and stuff and it could just be a complete coincidence it could just be because he's won the world cup it could be because he's become a dad i I don't know what the influence is but maybe the armband has something to do with it he is playing in a slightly less rash way you're never going to get him to be cool and calm collected because that's like telling Roy Keane not to be angry or something. You don't want him to be either. No. You 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 need a bit of that. Yeah, you can't change his personality. You're not going to change his character and you're right. But this is the question that we've all been asking in the last couple of years, which is, all right, if you contain that by like 10 or 20%, then you're going to be a hell of a player. And even though it's only eight games in, you're now looking at going, okay, this is the, you've managed to turn the volume down from 11 down to like nine. And we've sort of hit the sweet spot with him. And whilst I still anticipate some dumb red card for him probably this season, I feel a lot more confident in thinking that that might not happen. Or if it does, it might be a result of misfortune as opposed to him 
going in trying to just, you know, eliminate a motherfucker. <laughs> Has he even had a yellow yet? I think he's only committed a handful of fouls. He did, against, he did against Arsenal because he pushed Ben White on the oh, corner. So right. it was for something completely yeah. petty, just yeah. to, which I'm absolutely fine with. Pushing an Arsenal yeah. player in the North London derby is absolutely fine by me if you're going to get a yellow. Exactly. Yeah, you want him to get that, that yellow. Elio, just for a bit of fun, quick question. Out of the two of them, who do you think's had a better season? Or to ask it another way, who would you be more concerned if they were suddenly injured? I think by sheer fact that he's the only real left foot option we've got and also <laughs> the absolutely rapid one I'd probably be more concerned if we lost Van der Ven yeah. but I don't think that necessarily means he's having the best season it's hard because they complement each other really really well I think what Van der Ven does to save us when teams get in behind is wonderful I think Romero's proactivity and ability to win the ball high up which Van der Ven has done a few times as well but not to the same level as Romero does it is yeah. really crucial to how we play I mean I think early on in match they actually highlighted this for once they actually did some decent analysis on a Spurs move and a Spurs <laughs> the, the way Romero early on won a ball played it in and ran up the right wing and instigated an entire attack was wonderful to see Van der Ven's charging up the middle of the pitch as well when Idogi sort of moves out of the way for him to instigate attacks as well like both of them are almost doing everything you'd want from your modern proactive centre-back like it's weird but I actually think they've both got everything from what I've seen so far I mean we're not seeing sort of pings I guess like Toby Alderweireld's used to do but mm. I don't think that's in keeping with the way we play anyway so yeah no. I, I don't know I, I really don't know who the better one is uh, sorry that, I've, that, I, <laughs> no, I just that took a lot of words to say I don't know that's a good thing that it's hard to pick between the two of them because like, like Sock said they both offer something very different and I think yeah you don't do the sort of Hollywood crossfield 70 yard passes but again that's not how we play but what Romero does do really well is those kind of driven, progressive passes mm. through the lines into midfield. And the other thing about Romero that I've noticed, especially at the end of that Sheffield United game, I don't think we really talked about it in that episode, but he gets so far forward. I mean, I think because Van der Ven stays back and just kind of marshals our own half, sometimes there are points where he's the only one in our own half and everyone else is forward. But Romero is so good on the ball. Like We, we say this about defenders sometimes, you know, like you think that's Ledley King, how comfortable he was on the ball. You could actually, I would almost imagine Romero being able to play in central midfield in an emergency. He's that good on the ball and that comfortable in possession. Um, yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I'd say I'm not suggesting. I'd say it. that's true. I'd also I'd also say as cool and collected as Van der Ven has been in one on one situations against players that have an edge of some sort, whether it's Salah with his sort of trickery or Adebayo with his sheer strength the other day. He gets twisted, he, doesn't he? He can still get twisted a little bit, which is yeah. fine. I mean, if that I'm nitpicking here, whereas Romero, I never feel like anyone's going to beat him. At all. I think mm. Romero as a one on one defender is the best in the league. So I'd say that's probably the one thing I'd slightly slice between them, but but yeah. it really is a hair split. So basically, we love all of our players, but we don't have time to go through and talk <laughs> about how much we love all of them. I feel like it is a bit of a tradition to talk about Kulusevsky, though, because I think he continues to not quite get enough love. And once again, he was outstanding. Uh, unlucky not to get a goal, unlucky not to get an assist, because of course his ball was the one that Richarlison messed up mm. early on in the game. Once again, a contender for man of the match, right? I made the comparison to Berbatov v Bolton a week too early. It was this game that <laughs> was the genuine comparison for that. Yeah. We went to man down, he went up top 
fly zone, the way he held it, the way he dribbled, he, he was sensational. But before that, when we were on top, he was the one driving us forwards again. I mean, yeah. there was one turn in our own half out on the right-hand side before cutting in between two players and driving the ball up the pitch before laying it off in beautifully for Son, who really should have taken it on and scored. Was that the one where he not makes the guy Madison. before running yeah, through yeah, for exactly. two guys? Like, oh, beautiful stuff. I mean, yeah. this isn't something that a man of his size should be able to do on a football pitch. It, it's like mm. we've got Dembele on the wing. That's what it's like watching him at the moment. And I think he's undroppable. Yeah, uh, hard to argue with that one. So we've got the lovely problem of every week, all of our players being brilliant and it being hard to think of single ones to talk about. And last season, it was we were lucky if we had Harry Kane to, to talk about. And then occasionally <laughs> someone else would step up and make themselves noteworthy, uh, often for the wrong reasons. This week, once again, a lot of good performers. Anyone that you think is worth singling out or just talking about, perhaps someone we don't normally talk about, if that's possible, before we move on to look ahead to the next game? Yeah, perhaps is the only one that we haven't really mentioned. And I think mm. by virtue of the fact that he's been sandwiched in between our two best players in the midfield, in Basuma <laughs> and Madison, outside of sort of the Man United game where he scored and we spoke about him, I think he's kind of quietly going under the radar a little bit. And don't get me wrong, he had some moments yesterday when he was, you know, getting caught on the ball. And I think there were some moments where just by virtue of the fact that we are outnumbered, he was struggling a little bit. But overall, I came out and there were points like I probably would have given him kind of man of the match. I thought he played that well. He was just absolutely everywhere. And I think I, I said this when we spoke about him a few episodes ago, but there still isn't a single attribute I can look at and say, you're outstanding at this. Like he's not an outstanding passer, goal scorer, whatever. Like there isn't one thing where it's like, you know, I say name top three things about James Madison. You can say, you know, good on the turn, yeah. agile, great parts, great shot, blah, 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 but not necessarily the strongest or whatever. I yeah. don't really have that with Saar. Like, I don't know what his top three qualities are. But yeah. Well, every time I looked at something, he yeah. just seemed to be there. He was just always there. It's like, who won the ball? Oh, Saar. Like, mm. who laid off this? Oh, it was Pape Saar. Who got in the way? Oh, it was Pape Saar again. So I think he's kind of... Bearing in mind, this is effectively his first full season, right? Because Conte, I think he started three games for us last year across all competitions and barely came off the bench. So we wasted a complete year of his development. And before that, he was playing for one of the first teams in the French League at the time in Metz. And even yeah. for his sort of national team, I think in AFCON a year or two ago, he spent more time coming off the bench than he had started. So th- mm. he's, again, another player that you can put similar to Adoki and Van der Ven and even less so and say, not just young, but incredibly inexperienced. For- like you can be 21, like Saka's 22 and he's been playing football for yeah. four years straight, played for England, played in European Championship finals, etc. Pape Sarr is only a year or two younger than him and he's barely played any football at all. So he's the one that you're sort of looking at and going, okay, he doesn't have an outstanding attribute at the moment, but what happens in a year or two where he starts to sort of round these things off and I think we've compared him in the past so certainly I have to somebody like Patrick Vieira who was that all-round kind of box-to-box midfielder and the more I see of him that's the player annoying as it is I wish I could think of a Spurs player but that's the one I I just say like like everyone else sucks yeah I don't know people it it honestly feels like every time we have a black midfielder the same happened with Tangier Dombard but they're nothing it feels like, lazy oh, yeah, because he's African and really, tall and black. It really does. I'm conscious of it. Yeah, think he looks like him on the, the ball only, with the way he runs. I compared him to Stephen Gerrard. Yeah, well, that's a bit only, different. Oddly, original. Oddly enough, he's more in the mould of like the player that we thought Didier Zakora was going to be when we signed <laughs> Didier Zakora. If you want to compare him to his first player or maybe yeah. even Musa Sissoko, he's more kind of of that ilk, but the actual evolved kind of actual decent version of them. Yeah. So those are the sort of two good players. Mickey van der Ven did a good impression of Didier Zakora in the game. Did you notice one of his efforts on goal from about 35 <laughs> yards? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At that point, I was like, he's probably never shooting again, but thankfully I was wrong. Um, <laughs> so obviously, yeah, Saar is going to have his hands full in 
in our next game because he won't have Basuma alongside him. There will be a new look midfield. Our next game isn't for a couple of weeks. We have the international break. So let's all form a prayer circle that we don't get any more injuries because <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows we don't need any more. But we do have a bit of a dilemma in terms of how we structure our team to face Fulham in our next game. On the very ambitious assumption that we don't get any further injuries on the basis of who's currently available, Elio, how would you line up in our next game against Fulham? I think it has to be the same team because of the injury situation unless Brennan Johnson does come back fit, in which case I would throw him straight in for Richarlison. I've already said that. In terms of who comes in for Basuma, I think... Part of me thinks, let's go with Hoiberg. He's probably the better player. He's the one we trust more. He's one that is more likely to fit in, especially in a team that's playing well and on top as well. The drop-off isn't huge. But just because of his pace, his nimbleness, and the fact that I do think with game time, there's still a good player way to come out, I wouldn't be against seeing Oliver Skip take that number Mm. six role. I think he's the more physically able to replicate what Basuma does for us. And he's had games in the past for us where I think he has been a fairly nimble, fairly quick, fairly up and down player. He obviously hasn't got the skill of someone like Basuma, but neither does Hoiberg, so that point's almost moot. So mm. I, I think I'm probably erring towards wanting to see Skip at six, but thinking it's going to be Hoiberg, especially because if you have Skip and Sar in the same midfield, it's a very, very young midfield against a good full yeah. side. But there was another midfield that faced AC Milan that time that had an absolute blinder and we were all singing their praises afterwards. Um, Not to say that that's enough to justify having them in the team again, but that just reminded me of that. Would you say that with the Skip versus Hoiberg thing, it's a case of maybe Skip has both a higher ceiling in terms of his performance, but also a lower floor? Hoiberg's a little bit of a safer bet, potentially. Yeah, I I think that's fair. With Skip, you'll get anything from a 3 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10, whereas with Hoiberg, (laughs) you're almost definitely getting a 6 out of 10. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which you'd like to think would be enough with the greatest of respect to our next couple of opponents to get something out of them. But what do I know? Who knows? I would say the other thing as well with Hoiberg is these, you don't want it to be a kid at the base of the midfield. And Hoiberg is one of the few adults in the room that we've got. And for all his flaws, his inability to move or play on the half turn or be agile or any of those things, he is probably one of the most experienced players that we mm. have. And yeah. that has to count for something. Here's a novel thought for you. Here's a novel thought for you. How do you feel... Yeah about Emerson Royale at the base of our midfield. What the fuck? So, so you're, are you thinking like an inverting right back type thing or actually just yes. that's his position? Is he our John Stones, Elio? Is that where you're going with this? I mean... Make your case. I see you as a great football visionary of our time, so I want to hear this. <laughs> I think... Clark, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think a, that as a player, he's got enough of an all-round skill set in terms of well everything he can do both with and without the ball I think defensively he's sound he's solid he's strong he's quick enough for that role by far I think on the ball his ability to actually find the pass not a great pass but just a pass is reliable and I think He's also just a very driven, very aggressive player out of possession that would help with our, I guess, reinvented pressing game that we have had this season. So, which I don't think is something that comes that naturally to Hoybier. So I, Hmm. yeah, I think there's argument for it. I know it sounds a bit mad because he's literally never played there, (laughs) Um, but I don't know. Fullbacks and central midfielders have always been relatively similar skill sets even if in different positions and I think he could do well if he was coached for it 
And Pep Guardiola would try him out there. I have no well, doubt. Yeah, Pep Guardiola <laughs> would. And yeah. As we know, Ange is just exactly. Ange is just, just copying, uh, copying Pep. Pep. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. I'm going to get pelters for this one. <laughs> I, I like it and one day who knows you might see it it'll probably be because we've had two red cards and three injuries and it's the only option but uh, <laughs> let's, let's wait for that glorious day to present or itself move Pap Sar deeper move Kulisevsky inside that's an interesting idea yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a nicer I like idea. I think I think we can all agree <laughs> yeah, we'd like that is, one. So, Socks yeah. isn't even commenting on the other thing. He's so horrified. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin with it. Yeah. It's just, just ignore it. <laughs> At about three a.m. this evening, Socks is going to wake up in a cold sweat and a nightmare about Emerson Royale <laughs> playing as a holding midfielder in our, in our team. Um, here's the thought: there's there's a young Spaniard in our ranks called Brian Hill, who I recall used to play for us once upon a mm. time, and he, he wasn't high on Mr. Conte's Christmas list. On paper, I think he could be an outstanding player for our system, assuming he's fit and assuming he has time to adjust to it. Do we know if he's anywhere near being able to play a full game? Because he was on the bench for this game, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, this was his first week of training, basically, yeah. because he, I think he played maybe the odd game in preseason or something or came off the bench, but barely anything got injured straight after. So, I mean, effectively, what you have now is he's one of the few players that we've got that isn't going on international duty. Mm. So I don't know if they're getting any time off at all, but for the ones that are staying behind, of which there will be very few, you think you've basically got, and look, nothing can replicate actually playing in a match, but you've got a couple of weeks for him to effectively have a mini preseason. And yeah. that's not just in terms of fitness, but that's in terms of tactical and coaching stuff. Like Ange could hammer him exactly what he wants him to do out on that left or on that right as much as he wants. And that isn't a guarantee that he starts against Fulham in a couple of weeks, but it seems like a pretty decent opportunity to kind of make yeah. up for lost time. So I'd be surprised if we don't see him, if it's not the next game at some point, because obviously Perisic and Solomon, both Perisic is out for the season effectively, and Solomon we're not going to see till January. Mm. So if we are not convinced with Richarlison on the left up front or otherwise, effectively what you're looking at there is either Brennan Johnson or at that point Brian Hill so I don't know if his involvement will be imminent but my best guess would be you know maybe he gets 20 minutes off the bench or something like that against yeah. Fulham or whatever and and I'm curious to see what he's made of because we've seen worse players have bigger turnarounds in the past and Brian Hill has already shown that he's got talent like we all have when questions about his last season Oh, against Crystal Palace, that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We can question his physicality, but we all did the same with somebody like Modric or whatever. Like, there are plenty of players. I mean, look at Bernardo Silva, for Christ's sake, David Silva. Mm. There are plenty of diminutive players in this league that can use their skill to make up for their strength. So if we're seeing other players come on leaps and bounds thanks to Andrew's coaching, Pedro Parra is somebody we didn't think could defend that put in a great performance against one of the best teams in the league in Liverpool last week, for example. Yeah. I don't see why Hill, who has already shown more than a glimpse of his talent, can't be the next one that we're looking at and going, bloody hell, this is the wonder mm-hmm. kid that we were hoping we'd signed a couple of years ago. So like I say, I think the international break has come at a pretty decent time for him. So let's see if we see him in a couple of weeks. I love how diminutive has just become the universally accepted kind of PC way of saying someone's a scrawny little shit in football. (laughs) (laughs) Any small player is described as diminutive. I love it. Um, No, I I really like the idea of Brian Hill getting some minutes. And I think if we can get someone on the left playing with a left foot and actually putting crosses in, going on the outside, I think that could be quite interesting because it's it's quite frustrating sometimes watching Solomon, for example, sort of checking back onto his right foot. And and also Kulisevsky, to be fair, as great as he is, you do kind of sometimes wish he'd go on the outside more than he does. Maybe it's part of the plan but I think it would give us an extra element and we've seen with Perisic how effective the crossing can be but let's watch this space
space. I think that's a really interesting spanner to throw in the works potentially. Uh, so our next game is Fulham at home, and obviously we are going to have a couple of weeks until that. What have we made of Fulham so far? Because obviously we had a glimpse of them. We didn't have the best of times playing against them, but we played a very different team to what I expect will be going out there next time. What do you make of them from what you've seen so far this season, guys? More of the same from last season, really. I mean, they play good football. They're definitely a threat. I mean, I thought Carlos Vinicius actually in the highlights of all looked fairly handy for them yesterday, I think. I don't know if he made a goal or if he made a good chance, but his hold-up play for them has been decent now that he's finally got in the team for them. God knows he's an ex-Spurs player, so he's likely to score against us <laughs> as well. <laughs> There's that kiss um, of death th- again. Well, yeah, quite. I think Marco Silva's a good manager who knows how to put together sort of a decent sacking side. Uh, Andres Pereira is a uh, very talented individual as well. Willian just doesn't seem to die uh, much as Spurs fans would like him to. So, no, I, I, th- I think they're, they're going to be... I think we need a disclaimer here. <laughs> I think they're going to be a good opponent, but yeah. we're at home against Fulham. We should win. You know the drill, paper, blah, yeah. blah, blah, not played on blah, blah, blah. So, anything to note about Fulham? Uh, no, I don't disagree. I mean, they've obviously lost Mitrovic over the summer, which is, yeah. you know, a really big loss for him. Like he, he kind of started to fulfill his... Yeah, unfortunately for him, and there's that massive head injury. Yeah. He's not really looked the same since. Has he very kind of Petr Cech? So, it's kind of a sad story there. I'm glad that he's yeah. found himself in like a decent, solid Premier League club and is kind of trying his best, which sounds like kind of like a backhanded sort of compliment or whatever. But you know what I mean? So, yeah, nothing more to add. I mean, they are what Fulham have been throughout most of my life, which is to say... They're never not at threat of relegation, but for the most part, they're a solid kind of like somebody needs to finish 12th. Do you know what I mean? Like not every team can be (laughs) the worst team ever. Not every team can be sexy and exciting. Someone that just has to kind of be there, but has enough weapons. I mean, they got a point at the Emirates, I think second or third game of the season. So we can't, you know, I'm I'm saying, oh, somebody has to finish 12th. Good little for them. Well done for finishing 12th. But they have a threat as every team in this league does. So you'd expect us to win all the same, but. Yeah, And once again, like we go into a game like this sort of confident, but if we get complacent, then they'll do us. I mean, if it's not sort of the ex-player in Vinicius, then you just know that Alex Iwobi's going, who's doing very <laughs> well in a very sort of uh, Joe Linton-style yeah. uh, ball-carrying midfielder, uh, yeah. formerly striker reinvention now. Alex Iwobi's likely to screw us. I mean, Paulinho is one of the best midfielders in the league. He, he's exceptional. Yeah. There's a reason why he was being linked with 60, 70 million pound moves this summer so there's there's a lot of good about them so we'll we'll need to play well we can't just show up for this game but i don't think andrew will let us in fact if anything the fact that we just started in the game before fulham yeah. might yeah. be quite timely to stopping us pissing about next time yeah it might be simplistic but i do think the way our games have played out this season with the exception of obviously burnley is probably enough to steer us away from complacency i would like to think maybe that's naivety on my part because you know i'm sure the players are going there thinking we should beat these guys but i like to think that we've been lucky in the sense that we have had to scrape our way through a couple of hard fought wins to the point where we're not going to underestimate our opponents but i've been wrong before i've been wrong before let's (laughs) let's see what they what they bring we've got a while We've got what will be an eternity, I'm sure, until until that happens. And of course, we're going to watch nervously to see which of our players limp their way back. I think Son is playing in a couple of friendlies as well for South Korea, which is that not happening. 
Are you shaking your head at the idea? The idea? No, of no, that? I'm shaking my head oh, in disgust. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, How dare he represent yeah. South Korea, where he's basically God <laughs> as the captain? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Look at your contract, boy. <laughs> anyway, let's hope he doesn't get injured. Let's hope that he doesn't come up against any Arsenal or Man City players on the other team looking to do some damage to his ankles uh, or Fulham players for that matter. Interesting little tidbit here. I don't know if you guys saw this or if this has indeed ever happened before, but Spurs are not just top of the Premier League table. We're also top of the under 21s Premier League table and the under 18s South Division Premier League table triple top of the league heading into the international break war trophy etc etc so yeah the future is bright and the present is just as bright so looking very exciting for Spurs Elio I know you have a challenge Elio for us to present which is always exciting and I look forward to it despite the fact that with the absence of Dave I will be pitted against your familial Spurs rain man cousin who will no doubt wipe the floor with me but um, I'm going to try my best to enjoy it anyway but speaking of family links we've received an email this week hooray we've got an email from a man who refers to himself simply as sir keith spoiler alert this is socks oh, slash elio's uncle <laughs> elio you're right to react that way he says <laughs> <laughs> he says dear plus dave Let's cut to the chase. I'm enjoying the podcast immensely, and long may it continue to be both fun and interesting as it is now. But please, nephew Elio, let's get all our facts right. Winks' first goal was not a last-minute header at Fulham, but at home to the Hammers on his debut. And the goals at Liverpool, when we beat them and finished fifth above them, were not by Van der Vaart, but one from him and one from Modric. Your uncle, Sir Keith. P.S. Hi, son. <laughs> <laughs> All I am taking from this is that after I stopped Socks calling me out with my brilliance about what Harry Redknapp's actual first game was a few weeks back, he's had his dad come in to save the day for him. <laughs> no, I'm not getting dragged through the mud for this. He has written in Don't of his bite. own accord. Mm. There was no, mm. no deliberation behind the scenes. Mm. <laughs> we can release we can release the VAR audio tapes as proof. <laughs> we know that they mean nothing, though. <laughs> yeah, I doctored them all. Yeah. <laughs> Check complete. I didn't even catch them because he's right. Like uh, when Elio mentioned the Wings thing a couple of weeks ago, I didn't even catch that against Fulham. And the same one with the Liverpool one last week, it was. It was a yeah. Luka Modric penalty down the middle. And then the Vault the deflected. So I shot, think, wasn't it? So really, he's shaming all of us. Yeah, quite. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should have him on. Yeah. Well, that that serves as a tiny reminder that we should never neglect the value of experience. So maybe we should <laughs> be in the team next week against Fulham or next week after next. Thank you very much for that email. It's always great to receive emails. The the three times that we have in the history of the Plus Day podcast, and long may that continue. <laughs> um, if you would like to add to that growing list, please get in touch at Plus Day Podcast. <laughs> at gmail.com or if you don't know what an email is because you were born after the year 2000 you can send us an x or a tweet <laughs> uh, or a dm on twitter or x whatever elon's calling it nowadays and we are at plus dave podcast on that as well if you want to go a bit more personal my own one is plus dave dags elio's is elio underscore p underscore chfc and dave is at fantasy dave if you want to troll him for not being here socks any plans on making a twitter or are you still rising above all that nonsense uh if we're in the league i'll make one. Oh, here we go a, a continuing yeah, yeah. tradition of a, of a conditional Twitter yeah. promise and so okay 
Excellent. I look forward to that because, uh, as you know well, I'm sure that we're going to win the league. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's hand the mic over to Elio for one of our occasional quiz rounds that we like to round off episodes with. This is Challenge Elio. Over to you. So, in honour of our latest first-time goal scorer, Mickey van der Ven, I have decided to go down a little memory lane trip for Dutch Spurs alumni. Okay. And I can name at least um, one Dutch I, player. <laughs> I'm going to go back and forth between the two of you with mini Who Am I's to see, essentially, there's more about our Spurs Dutch contingency. I, there's been quite a few. They've all been in the Premier League era. So I think we'll be okay. I think this is not going to be socks giving daggers pasting, but let's see. So say that which now, one of you would like to go first? I made the horrible mistake of going first last time in the hope that you'd give me an easy one to start things off. So I'm going to let Socks take the first one. Okay. Okay. And for what it's worth, as always, it does go over to the other person if necessary. So that's absolutely fine. It shall be necessary. So, Socrates, this player signed for Tottenham Hotspur straight from Holland in his early 20s. By the time he joined us... If I, he, if I guess, does that mean I... I if my first guess the, the first... Yeah, your first guess answer. is your answer. The first answer you give is your only answer. So okay. uh, so the only incentive to answer quickly is to show off, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why I asked, because yeah. I'm happy to answer it now, but, if it, but it's also too risky. Okay. <laughs> but go on. Uh, on his signing for us, he was the top scorer in the area. Yeah, okay, it's Vincent Janssen. It is Vincent Janssen. Well done. (laughs) Very good. I am no more confident. Let's have it, Elio. So, this player signed for us from Real Madrid. He was a deadline day signing. He was uh, bought for Spurs at a time that we just qualified for the Champions League for the first so, time in the was modern this era. Rafa van der Vaart. This was Rafa van der Vaart. <laughs> well done. I think I was right in that you didn't make the first one easier this time. I think that was an easier one. This player joined us, Socrates, in the 90s, making it a bit harder Ooh. for you now. He signed for us in 1998 when our manager at the time was one George Graham. I think he I know. only ever made one league appearance for us. Oh, he was a goalkeeper. Know. What? This player not only played one time for us, but he spent a good portion of his time at Spurs as a coach, far longer than he ever was as a player. He played in his storied career for Wimbledon in the most parts, 262 times. Any clue? Um, one appearance. Say, what was the last couple of ones again? I so I he played 262 times for Wimbledon. And he signed for us under George Graham. Goalkeeper that only played for us once. And, and was a coach, coach for us far, far longer than he was a player. When you said 90s under George Graham, I thought I had it. But then you said goalkeeper and it completely ruled out the player. He I actually signed as a goalkeeper coach and goalkeeper. I, I have absolutely no That's idea. That's a really hard one. I mean, I've got a name no in my idea. mind really of enough? someone who was one of our goalkeepers, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't Dutch. We had a goal. Was, was it? It's not Hans Sagers, is it? It was Han Sagers. Oh, Hans Sagers. Oh, wow. Hans I, I, I was convinced, I was convinced he was going to be German with a name like that. I was just that's no, the, no, only, you know, the only reason I know that is because I always remember him as the backup goalie on the first championship manager I used to play. It would have been 9798. And he was our backup goalie at the time. Dagus, you've you've actually taken the lead on one of Sox's questions. I don't know if I mean, this has I, ever I, happened before. I technically spoke out of turn, <laughs> so I should be disqualified. I don't think I don't think Sox had, had his guess yet. 
<laughs> to be fair, I don't think I would have guessed. There was no way. Complete I, anyway. Moving on. That is. Moving on. It's good. Check, check complete. <laughs> Can I demand a replay? Or <laughs> yeah. is, is that not how it is? I'll play your FIFA socks. Play your FIFA. <laughs> and then I'll gritty you and I score. <laughs> Brilliant. And then I'll leave the podcast. I'll rage quit. <laughs> so, Dagus, your question. This player signed for us towards the end of the George Graham era and was injured for a large part. He signed for us off the back of an impressive loan spell at Leeds United. I think I was going to miss. At the end of his first season for us, when he was finally fit, he scored two goals on the final day of the season against Manchester United, both Walkers in Teddy Sheridan's last game. It was Willem Corston. Yeah. Did he have like a metal hip or a metal thigh or something like that? Yeah. He was bionic. He was broken. He was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) If it, if it wasn't for how completely irrelevant that was to anything we've discussed, I would have put that forward as an episode title. Bionic, <laughs> broken, beautiful. Socks. This player, after years of being linked to us on and off, Deandre Damiao. finally signed for us in <laughs> in the summer of... This is for Socks. For, don't maybe take he's, your points away. You're actually winning He's for also once. clearly Brazilian. I will take your points away. <laughs> and never signed for us. And, yeah. <laughs> This player signed for us in the summer of 2005. This player won the Champions League with Edgar Davids. Edgar Davids. Edgar Davids. Well, I think he deserved that one after the Hansegger's one. Yeah. (laughs) I remember we were in Cyprus when it was your dad that broke the news, and then he handed me an ice cream, and I had a lovely evening. That's (laughs) That's my one Edgar Davids anecdote. That's an excellent specific memory. But a good dub whammy. Yeah. What a day. (laughs) Yeah. That was mad when we signed Edgar Davids. I remember I yeah. remember feeling, I don't think I've ever seen us sign a player where I felt like he was so out of our league. Even though he was old, it just felt like, what? Spurs? <laughs> My Spurs? <laughs> I've signed Edgar Davids. Is this a joke? It, it seemed bizarre. Time. I mean, imagine how it must have felt to have been a Barnet fan where he yeah. comes in and then takes the shirt number one or whatever the hell it was anyway. It got like, so tough every other weird. game. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So by my making that, it's 3-2 to Dagus at the moment. But with Dagus having a question in hand. So, Dagus, this is one of our more recent Dutch signings. In on loan from Villarreal, he only actually played the nine league games for us. Arnold Danjuma. Scoring the one goal. Arnold Danjuma. Well yeah. done. I haven't got that many left. I wrote them all down beforehand, apart from obviously Hans Sagers. There's three more questions to go. I wasn't aware we were allowed to use pen and paper for this. Socks. <laughs> this player's crowning moment for us came against Leicester City. Oh, come Steven on. Steven Bergwijn. <laughs> Steven Bergwijn. Stevie. A man who will be resigned to obscurity thanks to Dejan Kulusevski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dagus, this player side for us from Swansea City, his first club in the Premier League. He played for Holland the entire 15 times. He was primarily a backup player at Spurs. He didn't make many appearances due to having a world-class international as competition for his position. He has, uh, since leaving us, not played anymore. He retired with us at the same time as Jan Vertonghen. They were both presented with gifts at a leaving ceremony, which was captured on the Amazon documentary. That would have been Michel Vaughan. That was Michel Vaughan. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea until the retired with Jan Vertonghen thing. I should have got that sooner. Socks. This is the final one. I don't think you can win this now. No, yes. no, Dagus, you've you've already won. Yeah, I can't claw it back. This is just so Socks can slightly narrow the score. Consolation. Yeah. Socrates, this person 
spent his footballing career going through the likes of Ardo Den Haag twice, Bayern Munich briefly, Twente, and in this country, West Bromwich Albion and Coventry City. He made an entire three appearances for the Netherlands. Since leaving Spurs, where he had many wonderful moments, he has been a manager of Hamburger SV, Ajax, Fulham, where he was reunited with one Dimitar Berbatov, and Al-Ali in Egypt. Yeah, I got it really early on, if it's what I'm thinking. Wait, but you said everything was all Premier League linked. Wait, you you didn't just say Premier League linked players, did you? You just meant Uh, Premier League linked players. If I did, it was a mistake. Okay, in that case. You didn't say player. It can only be mine, the old one. You know, know, ironically, (laughs) perhaps ironically, I knew who that was going to be from the minute you said that first team. What was it? Something Den Haag. And the reason I know that is because, Sock, you read out his career history in making the point that why should we judge Ange Postacoglu when we hired him in saying, would you have ever ever taken a guy whose CV was the following and you read out the teams that Martin Yeo had managed before us? And for some reason, that one stuck in my head, along with, I think, the go-ahead Eagles. That's weird than me remembering a very specific handover of a fucking ice cream in (laughs) in the summer of 2005 by a separate Maybe when we're enjoying watching football, it it sparks something in our memory banks. Who knows? (laughs) Douglas, you've, you've actually beaten socks. You've beaten I, socks. I feel, I feel like David slaying Goliath right now. This is like Wigan beating Man City in the I have a question for you. Has there been a better moment in your life to date than this? Uh, it's top five, Eddie. I'll give you that. If Henry Winkle <laughs> sent me a signed poster, then it will have some competition. But yeah, it's right up there. All I'm going to say is wait till my father hears about this. You will be thoroughly disappointed. You've not had the last of me. I have no son. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. Anyway, thanks for that. Needless to say, I enjoyed that far more than I usually do. So uh, I hope the listeners got a kick out of that too. Nice, proud history. In fairness, of the Dutch it players. was a deserved win. You won it by stealing Sox's yeah. question with Hans Segers, which was a yeah. really random bit of trivia to get in there of yeah. a guy who played one match for us. I mean, that, 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 that was a deserved win. If that quiz was replicated in the form of a football match, that would have been like Van der Ven's 35-yard speculative effort flying into the top <laughs> corner. Me getting that one right, I think it's fair to say. I'm going to try and take this victory in humility and grace, but well played, good game stops, and um, I look forward to a rematch in coming weeks. Fantastic. Well, I think we should go out on a high, or I should go out on a high. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to that. We will, of course, be back possibly next week, if we feel like it. We'll, we'll definitely be back before the Fulham game to preview that, and obviously in coming weeks, but we'll see how things go. We'll probably have Dave back with us again, and hopefully a couple of exciting special guest episodes in the woodwork for the next few weeks. So stay tuned tuned and watch this space because we've got some interesting things cooking away at plus dave hq as i said follow us on twitter follow all of us individually send us an email and we hope as many of you as possible can come back and watch us next week in the meantime enjoy spurs sitting proudly at the top of that premier league stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you next time Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it!